chapter, uh, we've been covering several weeks of this class so far, and actually, I, I finally had time to make a slide, or a couple slides, so hopefully that's a little helpful to see. Uh, you know, we were looking at this process of sanctification, right? So how do we think about spiritual change becoming more like Christ? Uh, in the first week, as we're looking at the peak, if you remember that mountain picture, um, that's the goal that all of us are striving for, right? We want to become more like Jesus Christ in every way possible. Uh, we broke that down into three major categories. Uh, you know, personal discipleship. That is, you know, we personally every day are becoming more and more those who are saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to be like you. I want to surrender all things to you. That is the posture that we're supposed to be having. Um, we're called to communal discipleship as well, right? That is as much as we're growing personally ourselves, just as much we want to be believers who are saying, I want to come alongside other believers. That's what we're called to do. That's what the Great Commission is. That's what the call of ministry is. And then we saw how all of that is supposed to be done in a spirit of love, right? How do you summarize all of the commandments in the Old Testament? It's to love God and to love people. And so how do we make sure that our pursuit of quote-unquote righteousness or obedience isn't just done because we're told to, it's not just a form of external religiosity, uh, but it's done because we genuinely want to love and worship the Lord. And in the second week, as we're looking at the path, that is how you actually get up to the top, uh, we were looking at the process of sanctification, and that is the process of heart change. And that's where we're talking about the heart, really, you, you know, using this diagram here, being our uh, two things, two W's. Does anyone remember what those two words are? Worldview. Yeah, worldview and? Worship. Worship. Yeah, very good. So if you're looking at, and I'm just going to uh, do two W's here, the heart is th uh, basically who we are, and it's based on our worldview and our worship. I just realized that's the same as the birds, but that's okay. Um, so our worldview is how we are truly seeing ourselves, right? How we are seeing God, how we are interpreting our circumstances and situations, how relating to what's going on around us. And then our, our worship is basically what we are most desiring, wanting, and willing in the course of our life. Right? So if you're thinking about the way that um, we respond to situations, right? So you have the sun, you have the rain, you have all kinds of circumstances. Um, our circumstances are not what determines our actions. If you're remembering that Luke 6 passage we're looking at, but what Jesus was saying is that our responses or how we're living, either good or bad, right? The fruit of our life is actually a reflection of our heart. And so don't look at our circumstances and blame the way that we're living or responding because, oh man, that person just cut me off on the freeway. That's why I lashed out in anger. Or, oh man, I have the, the worst boss. That's why I always feel bitter. Um, the reality is the way that we respond to our circumstances, the fruit of our life is a reflection of what's going on internally. And so how do we think about sanctification? We want to pursue change at the heart level. The way that we are truly interpreting or seeing the world, that is the story of our life, right? Either God is the main character and we're living our life in light of everything that scripture says about how we're called to live, or we're living our own story. You know, we are the kings of the universe. Everything is about serving us. Um, and then therefore we're worshiping something. I'm either worshiping the Lord. He is the one whose glory I seek or I'm pursuing my own desires and my own joys and whatever. And so then, you know, sanctification is seeking after change at the roots of our life or our heart. What we're seeing then the week after, and really what we're covering today as well, is how do we actually see heart change practically, right? So kind of the big picture is we want our hearts to be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there's things that God has actually given us in his word that you and I can and actually need to be pursuing on a daily basis. Uh, does anyone remember what those two uh, main areas were that we covered last week? There were two main categories of these spiritual disciplines that we saw last week. What's that? It depends on the act of God and the act of man. Um, Something like that. So, so that is true. You know, so as we think about sanctification, looking at Philippians 2, we recognize that God is the one who ultimately causes our sanctification, but we're also called to pursue it ourselves. Uh, the two main categories that we saw last week uh, was how we relate to God and how we relate to our circumstances. Yeah, those were the, the main two. So if you think about uh, sanctification, like learning to play the piano, right? A lot of people want to learn how to play furlese or some grand piece that is kind of like the main thing they want. No one just does that, 
right? The way that you learn how to play any type of musical piece is all of the small mechanics from the, how your fingers move to learning the names of the notes, all of those things. The spiritual disciplines are those small practices that we need to be building into our life so we can see the Lord work in our hearts over time. So some of the ways that we relate to God, we saw last week, we use the analogy of breathing or oxygen, right? So if we think about those dual disciplines of scripture and prayer, scripture is basically how we're inhaling, right? It's we're taking in the word of God. We're understanding who he is. What are you saying? It's him speaking to us. And then prayer is the breathing out of our uh, spiritual relationship with the Lord. You know, we respond to him. Uh, we, we looked at the Psalms and the many ways that we're able to relate to God biblically. And, you know, one of the main things we're saying there is we need to be doing both together. You know, it, it's helpful and it's good to have uh, Bible study times where you're looking at the text very analytically, wanting to break it down. But just as much, we need to be reading God's word devotionally, right? Responding to scripture by uh, praying back to him, praising him for what we're learning, asking him for help uh, to respond to what we're learning and, and all those things. And then the other category of spiritual discipline that we looked at last week was our circumstances or trials. So God uses the circumstances in our life to sanctify us. You know, he puts difficult circumstances in our lives, not at times as a form of discipline for some type of sin that we've done, but also at other times as a form of loving correction where God is just our loving father who's using trials in our life to make us more like him. And so what we were seeing there last week is our common posture, right, as human beings, as people, as Christians, is we don't like bad circumstances. And we naturally do whatever we can to just get away from bad circumstances and live in a time where everything's great. But one thing we have to do as believers is develop this worshipful posture in trials to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me now? How can I learn the lessons that you are trying to teach me through these trials? How are you sanctifying me through this circumstance that I don't like? And so those were the first two main categories that we saw last week. If we want to see heart change, right? If we want to go through this, um, this path of growing more to become more like Christ, we need to make sure our relationship with Christ is rock solid. Uh, we're pursuing him. We're loving him. We're learning about him. We're praying to him. And then we need to have an instructive posture um, towards our circumstances. So uh, just from that, uh, did you guys have any reflections, any questions about what we covered last week? Um, you don't have to come up with anything if nothing comes to mind, but just want to make sure that if there are questions, we're able to talk about them. No? Okay, great. Well, as we go through, you know, there will be plenty of times of, you know, wanting to ask for your guys' input, so please contribute. Uh, maybe be mindful of other people so we can have a lot of uh, people contribute as well. Uh, what we're doing today is we're going to cover the other two main categories of the spiritual discipline. So the way that I was breaking it up is there are basically four overarching categories, a lot of things that you can consider in each one, but four main things to consider. Uh, so we've looked at the role of God, you know, we've looked at the role of circumstances. Now today, uh, first we're going to look at the role of other people. So let me just ask you, uh, what are some of the ways that God uses other people um, to accomplish our sanctification? What are some of the commandments? What are some of the things that we see in scripture of how we need other people in order to be sanctified? Yeah. Okay, encouragement. Yeah. Um, admonishing and Reproving, correcting. Mm -hmm. um, we're all commanded to do that um, yeah. as a church. Okay, great. Yeah. Loving and serving. Okay, helping and serving. Bob? Accountability. <coughs> accountability. Yeah, accountability. It is a little early, so I understand. Yeah, accountability, definitely. Teaching. Teaching, okay. Yeah, we teach one another. Mm -hmm. Okay, discipleship, yeah. Yeah, good. It's a relationship over time, right? We, we need time with people. That's good. Yeah, it's great. So all of those are, are really good categories to consider. Um, again, there's only so much we can cover in sort of a short amount of time, but I wanted to give us some of the general big categories to consider, um, the way that we're called to relate it. And it's basically what you guys had said. It's more unpacking it. 
Um, so a verse that I think really captures this uh, big picture idea uh, is 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And so maybe, you know, we can look at that there. Again, it captures some of the major categories. There's more you could say, um, but these are some of the big ones here. Yeah, so feel free to turn there. I'm just going to read it for us. So 1 Thessalonians 5.14. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. This verse doesn't hit every single note that we should consider in our relationships, but it does hit a lot of general big categories. The first one, which I think Tony was saying, is the idea of admonishing the idol. So in our Christian walks, there's times when we are rebelliously proud, right? There's times that we're obstinate, that we're not listening to the truth, that we're running away in our sin, and we actually need rebuke. It's the idea of coming alongside and speaking truth into a person's life, correcting their worldview, helping them see where they're worshiping things that are wrong, where their works or their life is off. Um, there are times where we're going to be blind to our sin and we actually need people to correct our path. Another verse that you see that in is Hebrews 3.13. It says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Right? He's saying that all of us on our own, if we're not being careful for not getting checked right, because of our sin natures, we will harden ourselves. We will become callous where we don't want to listen to God's teaching. We don't want to listen to people. We don't want to be told what to do. And that's the, the process of the hardening of our heart. And so the warning that the author is giving us there is saying, exhort one another. He says, every day, the idea of constantly do it as long as it is called today. And the idea is he's drawing back. We don't have time to unpack that. But to the day of the Israelites where they had a period of time where they uh, were hardening their hearts. right? And God was constantly calling them to repent of their sin before it was too late and judgment would come. And so here, the, the same warning is given to us. You know, if we're not careful, there's only a limited amount of time that we have to truly be able to listen before it is too late, in quotes. And so make sure that you're not hardened by your sin. Make sure that you're having people who are speaking the truth into your life. And so on a practical level, uh, that just means that we have to cultivate this as a heart posture, right? None of us like being told what to do. None of us naturally love being told that we're wrong, that we're in sin, that we're uh, we're too mean or we're too arrogant or whatever, um, that's a posture that we have to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, cultivate over a period of time. Um, it's not something that's easy or natural for us to do, right? But part of the act of praying to God, right? Part of one of the things we need to be asking for his help and is saying, Lord, I know I am a proud man. I know that I don't want to receive correction. So work in me, humble me. And that's a scary prayer because then he'll bring circumstances into your life, which will humble you, right? Um, but he will use circumstances as we are open and submitting to him um, to help us, you know, grow. And so this is a posture, a heart posture that we need to cultivate. Um, also, one of the dangers that I think we have to watch out for is it's easy to pick and choose who we think is worthy to exhort us, right? Uh, whether it's because a person is a spiritual leader, because they've been a believer for a certain amount of time, whatever kind of um, uh, you know, standard or bar we set for ourselves, we naturally all have some level of expectation from people. And so maybe you have, uh, I don't know, let's say a high schooler that somehow says something, or, or maybe for some of you that are parents, right? You have like your kid who says something, mom, I notice you're angry all the time, right? <laughs> whatever it might be, it's easy whether it's that situation or others to think, you have no right <laughs> to say that to me, you know? And, and sure, you have to be careful of the tone and respect and all of that. But we set bars in our minds of who's worthy and who's unworthy to speak truth into our life. And, and again, I'm not saying that all counsel is created equal, right? There are people that because of wisdom and experience have more to offer, but we have to be careful that we're not becoming arrogant in the opposite way, where we have an idea of, of who can actually speak the truth into our life. Uh, one verse that I think really is uh, poignant and helpful for us to listen to, Proverbs 17.10. It says, A rebuke goes deeper into a man of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. Right? So what's the mark of wisdom? Is that you can receive one rebuke 
and that person will listen to it, glean from it, think about ways in which that they can apply it uh, versus you can have a fool who will hear, you know, take a hundred things and won't gain anything at all. Right, so part of the wisdom, part of the humility that we need to work on is to be able to receive rebuke from people, being willing to listen to those and say, you know what, is there truth to what's going on? And maybe it's a, a half-truth, right? Maybe it's a person that you think is a horrible person and, and is being a hypocrite, right? Sure, there's ways that maybe at some point you want to speak truth to their life, but also you have to be able to say, is there a glimpse of truth in what they're saying? Is there a way that I have to be careful for myself? Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to figure out if you just answered my question, but I don't think you did. So what, what would you say about like exhorting someone who claims Christ but doesn't have any fruit? Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So Because that kind of feels like Proverbs 17.10, like a, the fool is going to take a hundred blows. Like, sure. Do we keep ignoring them? Do we keep? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So um, all of this, you know, I'm more saying as a, a self-reflective thing. So this is what we have to make sure we're doing ourselves, right? Receive as much as we can. Um, you are right. You know, you don't want to be casting your pearls before swine. So, you know, that is a wisdom call of how much you're talking to a person, the timing, the tone. We'll get into some of that in two weeks. Um, because there is the tricky balance, right? If someone's calling themselves a Christian, they should be willing to listen. Um, if they're not, if they're responding negatively, okay. Is there wisdom to how you're saying it, thinking about the timing, giving them some space, praying for them before you bring it up again? At what point do you decide, I think this person just isn't a believer or it's not wise to continue on? Uh, that's a wisdom call, yeah. So for a lot of this right now, and that, that's a valid question, this is more just directing to us, right? What, how do we need to be listening to people's uh, rebuke, exhortation, and the like? So just in general, think about this. How much are you willing to receive from other people? How much are people speaking into your life and, and saying the hard truths? You know, do you fight back? Do you push back? Do you give some type of a response which makes a person say, I never want to bring up anything ever again? You know, or are you responding in the type of way to where you know the person is willing to actually speak truth into my life in the future. So that's the first general category, admonish the idol. The second one, encourage the faint-hearted. Uh, another Proverbs, and actually when I was studying this, I realized we'll probably just do a class on Proverbs because there is so much, well, clearly wisdom to be gleaned from it. But So at some point next year, but we'll have one there. But encourage the faint-hearted, uh, Proverbs 12, 25. Anxiety in a man's heart weighs him down, but a good word makes him glad. Right? I think all of us understand that. Right? There's times to where circumstances, trials, things just discourage us. But that's why we need other people that are able to say, hey, uh, here's a truth from Scripture. It's going to be okay. You know, People that are able to come alongside us and actually help us when we're not able to, to deal with it on our own. And when you look at the, the totality of Scripture, I think what you're seeing is that we're not called to be living life on our own. We're not called to go through these trials by ourselves. So as much as we looked at what we saw last week in that God brings trials into our lives to refine us, and we do need to do the hard work of crying out to Him and praying to Him, at the same time, we're not meant to only do it by ourselves. So we learn what we can, we, we work as we can on our own, but then also we actually need other people here. And just one other word of application, uh, we know that biblical encouragement isn't just saying positive phrases, right? Biblical encouragement is actually speaking the truth of scripture. Um, so, you know, think about the way that you're even giving uh, help at times, right? It's, it's not always wrong to say, hey, it's gonna be okay, right? But if that's the totality of your counsel over the whole period of time, um, I wouldn't say that's, that's biblical, right? You want to be thinking about how can you use the truths of Scripture, going back to the heart, right? What are the, the truths from Bible that need to shape that person's worldview that will be a sense of encouragement? Everything from the character of God, right? His sovereignty, his goodness, his love, his kindness, um, you know, to the fact that, you know, we're called to, uh, you know, become more like him, right? So maybe part of the encouragement is pointing to saying, how is God using this to actually refine you in ways that you don't fully understand? Um, you know, so make sure that as we're giving and receiving encouragement, you know, you don't want to just be to be whatever positive words that you hear, you know, kind of in the secular uh, culture, but what are the truths of scripture 
that I can point someone to. And hopefully as you're hearing from people, if you feel better after someone says, hey, it's gonna be okay, great, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but are you learning uh, that encouragement biblically as well? Right, so always you wanna be pointing things to what you see in the Bible. So general category, admonish the idle, I think I have it here, uh, encourage the faint-hearted, and then thirdly, help the weak. Uh, there's a lot of different thoughts about what it means to help the weak or who the weak is here. Um, basically, the weak can either be someone who's physically incapable of doing something or spiritually or emotionally incapable of doing something. So if you were to think about these as three different gradients, admonish the idol is a person who's fully capable of doing what they need to do spiritually, but is being proud and just isn't doing it. Encouraging the faint heart is a person who maybe they still have the ability, but they're just really discouraged and is having a hard time. So you're coming alongside them and just giving them the, the sense of encouragement so they can continue. Helping the weak can be thought about the idea of a person who cannot really do it on their own right now. And they actually need you to be able to, to do it. So maybe you've known a person that's just gone through a, a very deep bout of not biological depression, but spiritual depression, just really deep sadness in their life, um, whether it's the death of a loved one or some kind of physical infirmity to where they can't get around. And it, this is the notion of actually coming alongside them, saying, okay, it's not that I'm going to replace God in your life, but I'm going to be there to help you and strengthen you and come alongside you. Uh, hopefully it's not too much to say, but after my surgery, I was really out of it. And so Tony was gracious to help me uh, physically walk into my room in bed, right? If it was just me and Cindy, you know, my wife is very petite. She's also pregnant. And so the big scare was, well, if she tried me, she's going to fall. We don't want to hurt the baby, you know, all kinds of stuff. So we got the strongest guy at NCC, right? We got Tony Exler to come and physically, not carry me, but, you know, basically be one of the crutches to get me through the door, right? I wasn't tall enough to actually do that. Yeah, but, but I was so drugged up, I couldn't tell. So it was fine, right? There's times to where, you know, we, we literally cannot go through things on our own and we need the help of other believers, right? And that can be accountability. Uh, that can be intense discipleship, that can be in whatever fashion it is, but there's times to where, based on wherever we're at, physically or you're spiritually just really new in the Lord, or you've, you've had some kind of uh, encroaching sin for years and decades, whatever it might be, where we actually need other believers to say uh, that God uses them to physically or spiritually pick us up and help us in whatever's going on. This isn't the only way that this verse applies, but I've mentioned this before, Galatians 6, 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Um, so other people have burdens, whether that mostly spiritual burdens. The, the command here is saying, bear one another's burdens. It's not just going to be that brother or sister in the Lord that's going to work through that issue. I want you to actually help them through it. So we're not going to go through that alone. We're going to have other people. Yeah. Um, I, I'd hate to take too much time on this, but some of the words we're using uh, today, I've, I've been really curious about for a while. So like admonish, um, exhort, um, reprove, rebuke, um, all these things that we would do in the church amongst one another, of course they're biblical, we want to direct people to the word, but it, it almost seems to me, and I'd hate to eisegete, but it almost seems that um, there's a level of... Um, strength that's behind each word mm -hmm. right rebuke sounds very confrontational mm. whereas admonish seems like almost as if you're doing the same thing in context but yet the, a different word is chosen mm. um, so I, I guess I wonder if maybe you have an answer to that as to is there a, a strength by which you're um, admonishing rebuking reproving and is that why they're using a different word okay in each yeah context? Uh, yeah, th that's a good question. So there are shades of difference. Um, it's not always as you know stark as maybe some people would think. Uh, that okay. So I'm gonna actually hold on to that because sure. that's okay. gonna be something we're gonna cover in two weeks. But that's a great question. Cool. So Thank hopefully you. that can be a tie into come to the last session. We will cover you know some <laughs> stuff like that. Um, yeah, that that wasn't planned by the way. <laughs> Tony had a genuine question. Yeah, um, yeah, but that's a that's a valid question. So there's times to where we or a person cannot get through the situation on their own. God has designed, that's why we have the church, to be able to walk through circumstances together. 
So taking all of this together, um, here's where I think, uh, here's the, the main point I'm trying to say, which is really, I think, what Scripture is saying. We cannot live the Christian life by ourselves. The, the type of growth that we want to see, the type of growth that God calls us to, requires people intentionally, intensely in our lives. Right? If, if you're living by yourself, if you're not having people pour into you, um, you're just not going to grow the way that we're called to grow. Uh, we absolutely need and require that. You can think of the Christian life as inherently corporate, not individualistic. Now, the challenge for us as Americans, and especially I know, you know maybe more in the Bible Belt area, is uh, I think over time, and, and I'm curious to see how all of this developed, I don't know, we have this very rugged individualistic mentality. It's me, myself, and I. I'm going to pull up myself by my bootstraps. I got this. Uh, but that's entirely anti-Christian. Right? When you look at the pages of Scripture, all the one another commands, you cannot avoid the fact that we're called um, to be in each other's lives and to have people in our lives. We, we absolutely require that. So a couple challenges for us here. Right? One, just you know, are, do you actually have people speaking truth into your life? Uh, two, people can only get as deep as you allow them. Right? We all know it's possible to create this mega giant wall. Um, it's possible to say some aspects of what you're going through and, and hide others. You know, it's possible to deceive and con everyone. People can only get as deep as you allow them to um, get into your life. And, and that's in every single category, speaking about sin that you're struggling with, uh, burdens that you're experiencing and really need prayer and help for, um, areas to where you're saying, I just, I just feel like I can't live this life. I need help. Whatever level of struggle that we're talking about, people can only help you if you allow them to help. And so that's why we need to be cautious and careful that as we're living the Christian life, as we're seeking to be communal, that we're willing to actually let people in. And so just think about that for yourself. How much are you, uh, you know, being open versus not? And then on the, the total flip side, right? So as much as we've been thinking so far about how we need to allow other people to pour in our lives, this is also how ministry works, right? So as we're thinking about this whole class, hopefully you're also trying to minister to people in your life, whether it's your kids or your friends or some type of formal discipleship relationship. You know, are you engaging with people on those three levels? You know, knowing when it's time to admonish, when it's time to encourage, when it's time to help, uh, all of us probably have our natural vents, right? Some of us will just admonish all day. <laughs> you know, no matter what the situation is, you are sitting, you got to repent in the Lord. Um, but do you also know the times to where what the person actually needs is actually the encouragement, uh, something that will warm their heart and their soul? Um, so as we're thinking about ministry, be intentional to know the different levels in which we want to engage. And I think all of us know this, right? Uh, th this is the challenge I gave on our first day. Hopefully you're thinking about this. Because we're called to be ministers, we need to be intentional to seek that, right? We need to find people that we're able to pour into. It doesn't always have to be a formal relationship. It could be as simple as being in a small group or a women's Bible study where you're regularly speaking into each other's lives and you're being open about what's going on and you're, you're volunteering truth to help the people that are there. Are you thinking about yourself also in this way as well, that you're also a minister speaking truth into people's lives? So just a couple uh, reflection questions here to close out this section. How often do other believers speak hard truths into your life? So just think about the last week or month or three months. How much are people speaking hard truths to you? Um, if it's not very often, why is that the case? You know, is it just a matter of uh, shame because of what you've gone through? Is it pride? Is it just uh, you haven't prioritized the church, and so there's just no way that people are going to get to know you on a deep enough level? Uh, you know, what are, what are the reasons that people aren't regularly speaking truth into your life? And it could be a, a number of factors. And then, just connected to that, a second question. What do you need to do to ensure that you have people speaking truth into your life? And what are you going to do? What do you need to do to ensure that you're able to pour into other people's lives? As we're talking about everything here, we have the spiritual dynamic that we have to consider, but there's also the practical dynamic. Think about your schedule in this upcoming fall. You know, how are you making sure that you are placing commitments which are giving you those life-on-life -life relationship time 
so you can actually admonish and love one another. So just how much are you speaking truth? Are you getting truth spoken into you? And then what do you need to do to kind of change your schedule uh, to make sure that that's actually able to happen? Okay, those are just broad categories. I know there's so much more we could say. We'd love to talk about questions and thoughts. Okay. Uh, with all of the points that we're looking at, is there any difference when you're using these areas when you versus a person who has confessed the belief in Christ versus a person who is not a believer? And I guess I'm looking at Proverbs in the first chapter, that seventh verse. Hmm. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So if you're doing these things, which for Christians is a part of your life, hmm. but if you're relating in these areas to someone who does not have a belief in Jesus Christ, is there a differentiation? when you're looking at these categories versus a person that who has confessed and you're aware of that a belief versus a person you may encounter family wherever job whatever hmm. is there a difference in your approach yeah that's great so it's kind of like a similar um, maybe situation to what Virginia was alluding to, maybe yours is you're unsure, and then yours is you think, hey, this is for sure believer, this is for sure not. Um, I would say in general, I mean, there's nothing wrong with trying to give a biblical encouragement, a word from scripture to a non-believer. Sometimes, you know, we'll use a phrase that, you know, to a non-believer, all counseling is pre-counseling or all ministry is pre-ministry because you know what the starting points the, the starting point for any real change is the holy spirit right it, it's knowing jesus christ salvifically it's having the spiritual starting point which actually we'll see in this next section here before anything can truly help a person right before you can understand the root of your issues and how you seek true change not just external behavior modification if you're speaking to a non-believer, there's nothing wrong with bringing up some of these truths about where encouragement can be found and the fact that we need other people. But part of what you're always then pointing to is the gospel, saying, but none of this will actually help you unless you first know Christ. So in just short terms, I would say that. It's, if you're talking to a non-believer, sure, you can give them help, but without Jesus, none of this is going to help them. A lot more can be said about that. But yeah, just general questions about this topic, about having people in our lives, speaking to other people's lives. No? Okay, well, we'll have more time at the end uh, if anything else comes up. So let's think about this so far. We've covered three major categories of spiritual discipline. Uh, we need every single one of these in order to grow spiritually. So we need a concrete, deep relationship with the Lord. So think about this level for yourself. How much are you engaging with Christ like with breathing? taking in his word through scripture, uh, praying to him consistently, having an instructive posture towards our circumstances or trials or difficulties. This third category, how much are we using and allowing people, God to use people to speak the truth into our life and shape us and change us. The fourth category, which maybe this sounds not as helpful, is you. And there's going to be two aspects that we talk about this. God uses you as part of the journey of sanctification. Um, you know, again, something, I'm just going to connect everything to my foot while I can. So, you know, very soon in a couple weeks, I'm going to be going through rehab, you know, as part of that is going to be physical therapy. And what the doctors have always said is, uh, you know, the way that the true healing actually takes place, takes place is through the rehab and physical therapy. It's doing those exercises of stretching the leg and moving in a certain way, tedious things at times. Um, there, there can be gruesome or painful at times, things that I don't want to do, but it's all of those actions over the course of many weeks and months that the flexibility and the strength is actually built back up. Right? So the surgeon has done hopefully great work of actually repairing the, the tendon and, and sewing it back together and all of that. Um, but where I am right now, I can't just rely on that. Right? That's gotten me to the starting point in a sense. But now that that's been done, there's all these small things that I have to begin to do in order to actually see the strength and the flexibility come back. And I think in the same way, when it comes to the spiritual journey, 
Um, hopefully, over these last three or four weeks, we've learned a lot of things, right? We, we've, understood, we've understood better what Christ-likeness is. We've understood that we need to focus on the heart. But as we've talked about over these two weeks, we need to be putting in the effort ourselves, right? It's through the power of the Holy Spirit, but then also through the, the personal effort that you and I choose to engage in or not. So that's why we looked at uh, Hebrews 12, 14. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it's not just, hey, you've been saved, therefore now you're going to become sanctified. But there is a sense in which you need to strive for that holiness as well. And so as we're looking at this category of you, the first general category, which is just really short because we've been talking about it this whole time, is just our intentional engagement in these spiritual disciplines. So it's one thing that we've talked about and that we've learned about the things that we need to do. It's another thing to say, okay, I'm going to make time to actually do these things, right? That's why I'm having these reflection questions saying, okay, I'm gonna look at my schedule and say, what changes do I have to make to my priorities? What changes or sacrifices do I have to make to whether it's fun events or sports or things that I know I would rather be doing so I can make sure I'm prioritizing the Lord the way that he calls us to do. So what is this category of you? Of course, there's the, the general thing of just how much are you trying to engage in the spiritual disciplines, but where I want to spend most of our time is actually this other category of effort that we need to strive for, uh, which is what the old Puritans would call mortification of sin. Right? Some of us have maybe heard of that. Maybe you thought, you know, why would anyone use that word in today's uh, vocabulary? Does anyone know what that means when we talk about the mortification of sin or that we're called to mortify our sin? Okay, kill it. Yeah. Put it to death. Okay, great. So I, I think you guys are, are aware of that. It's, we're putting our flesh to death. So we need to make sure, right, besides just doing the things we're called to do of engaging with the Lord now, the question is, how do we actually focus and just look at our sin for what it is in itself? A lot of us know that very famous quote by the Puritan John Owen. Does anyone know what it is? Be killing sin or it'll be killing you. Yeah, yeah exactly, right? You know, very simple. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. Part of our journey in the faith is we need to be looking at our flesh, the, the sinful aspect of our nature, and saying, how can I intentionally be seeking to fight it, slay it, put it to death? Otherwise, if you just let it sit there, uh, it's going to fester and it's going to grow. It is very similar to, uh, you know, if you had some type of rabid dog in your house, you know, and you're like, oh, what an adorable little thing. You know, I, I know that's kind of a bummer. You know, it, it could kill me, but... It's fine, you know, I'll just leave it in the corner. At some point, it's going to mess you up, right? Something is going to go wrong. And so in the same way, we have to be thinking about our sin nature in that light. If we're not intentionally fighting it, it's going to slay us. And so either we slay it or it's going to slay us. Uh, what are some of the ways, uh, since you guys are familiar with that, what are the ways that we as believers can seek to put our flesh to death? In some of the general categories that you would know. What's that? Confess. Okay, so yeah, confessing our sin can be part of that, recognizing for what it is. Uh, James says to flee it. Uh, okay. Uh, run from it. Good, so flee and run from sin. Romans 8 says to set your minds on the things of the Spirit, hmm. um, as opposed to setting your minds on the things of the flesh. Okay. And when we set our minds on the things of the Spirit, we're, we're filling our minds with things that are excellent, heavenly, and therefore we don't sin. Mm -hmm. do Good. Yeah, so putting your mind on something else, namely Christ. Okay, what do you mean by that don't, provision? Don't go to a place that you're going to be tempted and mm -hmm. don't have food in your house too bad. <laughs> Okay, good. Yeah, if you're trying to diet, you know, don't have a bunch of chips, which actually I need to listen to that because as a side note, again, trying to watch how much I eat because I can't really move, uh, trying not to eat too much. But, uh, you know, our first small group gathering, we had a pizza party and someone left three jumbo sized bag of chips. <laughs> and so, you know, the fact that it's there means I'm slowly nibbling away. And uh, yeah, so that, that's very true. Okay. So when you kill sin, Okay, yeah. Okay, good. Yeah, so it has to be replaced with something else. Very good. Yeah. 
Good. So take uh, extreme measures or desperate measures at times. Good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to elaborate on that? Well, what I, I, when I do a ministry, it's like, you know, you have to get in the word and then you really have to change your habits. Mm. You know, I mean, it's like, it's a, it's a mind thought, you know. So putting on, putting off, you could post Bible verses up on the mirror and on your steering wheel and everywhere. So it's totally reminding you to get into a different thought, you know, mm. different uh, mind frame of what's really yeah. you're trying to change. Yeah, no, that's great. I think all of you guys are hitting on all of the major themes, right? So I don't think what we're going to cover today is going to be new, but I'm hoping that this will at least give you kind of a simple category to think about, right? So this is when you're fighting some type of sin, you're wanting to seek growth in your life. Think about these categories. And then also when you're helping someone else too, they're, they're going through some kind of difficulty. How are you helping them think through these categories as well? Okay, so you guys have hit on, on I think all of them or most of them, but here's how I've worded them, uh, just synonyms for you. First of all, defeat your sin. And this is what I mean by it. Uh, Romans 6, one through four says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. Right? So Paul is saying in Romans 6, as a believer, you have already died to sin. Right? And then he uses the analogy of what baptism is showing spiritually, right? That in Christ, you've already died to your old self. You've been raised to new life. You no longer are required to do the same things that you once were, right? So as a non-believer, this is going back to maybe what both of you are saying, all you can naturally do is what is sinful, right? And as much as you might try to do otherwise, your heart's never going to want to actually honor the Lord. But in Jesus Christ, you have already died to sin. Right? And this, this should be obvious. As a believer, you're no longer required to respond sinfully to your circumstances. Going back to that idea, we're not forced to respond the way that we would naturally do in our flesh. We actually have the choice. And so we need to think about that because think about how easy it is to make excuses for what we've done. The starting place is reminding us that in Jesus, because we have the Holy Spirit, I was not forced to do or say or think the thing that I did. I did that because I chose to, to sin. I chose to turn away from Christ because in Jesus, he's now given me the power in which I don't actually have to sin. So of course, this starts with salvation. So going back to maybe Virginia's question, if you have a person that's constantly, they're, they're not listening to rebuke, reproof, uh, you know, always responding sinfully to whatever's going on, at some point you do begin to question or wonder, you know, maybe I'm talking to a person that isn't actually saved. Now, that is a wisdom call. You don't want to, on the first time they don't listen to you, say, you're an unbeliever, repent. You know, but over time, if you're seeing that pattern, um, that is something that you have to wonder and pray about as well. So first off, you know, defeat your sin. And obviously, that's not something that you can do yourself. It's the fact that Christ has already done it in you if you're a believer. But just recognize that if you are in Christ, sin has been defeated. Already you are a conqueror in him. It's the idea that you were freed out of your captivity, and every time you sin, you're choosing to walk back and return to your life of slavery. That's not in you, and you do not have to sin anymore. For some people, um, that in itself is a huge game breaker, right? They've been struggling with something for so long, and they just assume, this is who I am, and this is my life. But no, right? If you are in Christ, you don't have to do that. way that we are before we come to know Christ is it, an entirely different thing. But when we confess and have a belief in the Holy Spirit is indwelling us, we got a new nature. So is it possible next time so when we're looking at next time? Okay. Uh I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll look into that. Hopefully some of what I'm saying is alluding to that. I didn't use that exact term, but that is the idea of having the new nature, you know, because we're under the new covenant with a new heart. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll try to find some resources this week and I can post it on the, the church app there. But yes, this is because in Jesus, we have a new nature. We are new beings uh, to start with. 
So just remember that. Uh, defeat your sin in the sense that you need to be saved. And once you are saved, you have overcome and you have defeated the sin through Christ. Second general category, respect your sin. And this is kind of the opposite. Uh, Romans 7, 21 and 23. Paul's then saying, right, so after talking about in chapter 6 how much, hey, in Christ we've now overcome all things, he talks about in chapter 7 the battle that we still fight. He says, for I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. A lot going on there. We can't cover it all, but a general summary of the point that I'm trying to make is that even when we are in Christ, once we now have the ability through the Holy Spirit to not sin, to fight and flee from temptation, we still are waging a battle against our flesh. And so that will be a, a continual thing that we have to fight against. And, and God has given us ways of overcoming so it's not as great of a battle as it once was, which we'll see later on, but we have to respect the fact that we still have a sin nature in this life. We will sin, and if we're not careful, if we're not alert, if we're not sober-minded, then we will uh, fall back into our old sinful ways. And again, as we're saying, it's not that we have to, but we have to recognize that this is going to be a true battle. And so some reflection things, right? Do you recognize, are you honest with the fact that you, know, you do have sin struggles? Right? For some believers, once you know that you're in grace, we just don't think about it anymore. You know, I'm just going to live the Christian life. God's all good. Everything's great. But do you really recognize and think about the, the sins that you are battling even today? Do you recognize those sins that you're more prone to? Do you recognize the area of struggle in which you tend to be weak? That you say, hey, I, I know that I've, I've had this area of lust in my life for years and I've just never dealt with it. I know that I tend to be very angry at my wife, and I've never really seriously dealt with that. You know, do you recognize the areas in which you are most prone to sinning right now, and are you focusing your attention, your spiritual attention, on that area? So you need to be aware of it, and then do what you can to respect the fact that, hey, if I don't fight that, if I don't flee from it, that's the area in which my life's going to be taken down. You know, sometimes people say all of us have natural bents towards sin, right? Do you know your bent or bents, plural? Because most of us don't only have one, right? There's many areas in which we're prone to sin, but do you know what those are? And again, this is the benefit of looking to God's word, of talking with other people that are lives, because they, they can help you identify areas that maybe you're not seeing yourself. Um, okay, uh, questions on that topic, respecting our sin? Yes. No, that's good. And I feel like that's such a big part of discipleship, although it would be awesome to hear more practical ways of what that looks like from the pulpit or wherever, but discipleship is such a helpful place to be like, let's look at Ephesians 6 and talk about the armor of God and how to use each piece of the armor of God to actually do that. Here are practical ways that I've fought my sin in the past, hmm. rather than just being like, go fight, roar. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. So that's why I know you, I don't know if you're out of town or you were here last week. So maybe listen to last week because that's why we're covering the spiritual disciplines. Because what does this actually look like is part in spiritual discipline and also the other categories that we see here. So uh, yes, I, I totally hear you. Hopefully you can go back and listen to that. Um, so, you know, respect it because this is the battle that we're going to end. And so now here's some more practical things as well. So we need to defeat our sin. That is, we need to be in Christ. We have to respect our sin in that know that it's going to be a battle. It's not something that you just overcome overnight. Thirdly, we need to starve our sin. All right, so Romans 13, 14. 
uh, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so already you're seeing kind of the um, two parts. I'll leave the one part for later, but I want to capture that idea of make no provision for the flesh. So that's going to knowing your propensities, right? Knowing the sins that you gravitate towards. Um, how are you trying to make sure that you're not even enticing your flesh to begin with, right? So whatever the area might be, uh, you know, so let's say that, um, and I'm not saying this is a sin, but I really, really just want to eat nonstop. And every time I see a McDonald's, I just go and buy 10 cheeseburgers, whatever it is, right? It's a horrible idea to live next to a McDonald's. It's a bad idea to just drive by and, you know, camp out there and say, well, I'm not eating it, but that looks really nice. You know, all of that would be making provision for your flesh. So the question is, in whatever type of sin struggle you're dealing with, or if you're trying to help another person, what does it look like to so remove uh, the desire of your flesh or to starve your flesh? So as practically as, you know, avoiding places, right? Or um, let's say your, uh, your tendency is just being very materialistic. You're always envying or wanting uh, things that people have. Maybe what you need to do is delete Facebook or whatever social media platform you use, right? Literally just stop seeing the images that are causing you to envy other people. Or, uh, you know, it's totally fine to watch the news, but if your tendency is, you know, you just get so focused on politics or, you know, seeing a certain pol uh, party win this uh, race, maybe you need to, you know, not watch the news as much as you once were. You know, what that looks like is different for every single situation, but we need to starve our, our sinful tendencies, right? Remove whatever the, the, temp, uh, the temptation or tendency is, just get away from it and flee from it as much as you can. And that can be physical, that could be um, just, you know, directing your attention uh, elsewhere, but just make sure that you're actually running away uh, from what you're doing. So starve your sin is one practical element. Uh, the fourth one here, is replace your sin. And so this then gets to what I think some other people have said earlier from Ephesians 4, 22 to 24. And this is, again, where Paul is describing this on a more practical level. So he says to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So a couple elements you see here. He's saying, of course, you need to put off your old self, that is your old sinful habits, your old way of life, whatever that sinful area is that you're focusing on. But how does that actually take place? One, he says, be renewed in our minds, right? That is having your mind saturated in the word of God. Going back to the idea of our hearts, you know, we need our worldview and our worship to be transformed as we are engaging in God's word. As we hear his commands, see his promises, know who he is, we and who we are, our minds are slowly transformed uh, to become more and more like him. And so part of that starts off with renewing our mind through the word of God, but then it's the, also the other part in verse 24. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God. And as you go through this passage, right, the, the, the rest of the chapter, Paul is breaking down practically what this means. And so I, I forgot who said it earlier, but it's not just that we're called to run away and stop doing sinful things. We need to actually prayerfully seek the, the corresponding area of righteousness, right? So as you go through the rest of Ephesians 4, Paul says, for those of you who are lying, instead, you should do what? Learn to... Speak the truth. Yeah, so it's not just, hey, I'm not going to lie anymore, but how can you be speaking that which is true? Uh, you shouldn't just be, uh, stop speaking a bunch of corrupting talk. He says instead do what? Speak uplifting talk, right? So you're still speaking words. You're going to say something, but, you know, you want to be speaking what's actually uplifting. You know, he says instead of being bitter, the answer is not just to not be bitter, but instead put on what? Yes, a goodness or kindness. And so it's praying about how can God actually help you be kind to people. So in whatever the area of sin might be, there's, of course, the stop doing the negative thing, but then there's also the start doing the positive thing. And, and I think there, there's a couple elements there. Of course, there's one in which it's not like you just wake up one day and suddenly, you know what? 
I'm just going to speak a bunch of wonderful, positive things, right? <laughs> you know, we don't just do that automatically. But this is where everything else that we're looking at in these spiritual disciplines helps us to where you're regularly engaging in God's word about what's true and what's good and what's right. And so you're, you're no longer thinking the way that you once did. You're, you're having people that are speaking the hard truths into your life and rebuking you when you are. So you, you recognize when you're doing something that's wrong, God will bring circumstances and trials which naturally humble and break you. Uh, to where you no longer do and want to do the things that you once did. And then, of course, you strive to guard your mouth, right? I'm not saying you have to literally do the, the old thing that I had to go through where I said a cuss word and my mom put soap in my mouth, right? You don't always have to do that type of, of exercise, but there is the element in which you have to strive to not say things and speak good things, Right, so hopefully you're hearing this. That it's not. I'm not trying to be overly simplistic, or it's just one. It's we're engaged in all of these practices that Scripture says, and so we put off the old self. Right, we renew our minds, and then we put on the new self. It's one thing I found is that um, if you're not replacing your sin, it's almost like the previous steps are just a waste of time. Mm. Um, like if you're struggling with laziness, and you find oh, I'm scrolling for hours on Facebook, yeah. you delete Facebook. But then if you don't fill up anything else, then a yeah. week or two later, you're like doing the exact same thing on YouTube. Mm. Like, oh, I'm going to delete YouTube. And then a week or two later, you find yourself doing the same thing with video games. Yes. All of yes. these are okay things when you're doing it rightly. But then mm -hmm. if you don't fill it with something else, you're just going to keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So you still respect it. You're still recognizing it. trying to start, but you're not refilling it. Like, you're mm -hmm. just going to go right back to the same thing. You're just going to avoid the fill. Yes, yeah. So, so that, that's very true. Uh, on multiple levels. So in general, think about that, right? If all of us are worshiping, wanting, desiring something, whenever we're engaged in some type of pattern of sin, there's something that we are running after, right? And so it could be as simple as a feeling of pleasure, right? I go to Facebook because I'm getting that dopamine hit from seeing something new, activities that I like. That's why I'm addicted to it, okay? It's a bad thing to be addicted, so I'm going to stop. Well, if the heart issue is still the desire for pleasure, Okay, that's why I'm running to Instagram or I'm running to video games or whatever it might be. If the issue is the heart, then yeah, you're going to run from one bad addictive activity to the other. And the question is, how are you replacing that with what is good, right? And so as you choose to engage in scripture and devotion and genuinely love and desire the Lord, that is where not that you're turning to God out of a desire for pleasure, but you are finding the true pleasure that all of us as Christians are called to have. Yeah, so that, that's a helpful comment to, to make. Uh, one way to think about this, Christ-likeness is not just the absence of sin, but it's the presence of righteousness, right? So we're not just trying to say, hey, whatever that bad thing was, I got to stop doing it, and then I'm good, right? Seek to put that to death, but then also what is the, the corresponding area of righteousness that I should be pursuing? And of course, that's both something that we do and that God does. We uh, be intentional with engaging in these spiritual disciplines, targeting the heart, but then we also cry out to him desperately that he would change us as well. So, so far we have four categories. We defeat our sin or Christ defeats our sin through salvation. We have to respect our sin. We have to starve our sin. We have to replace our sin. And then uh, fifth and finally, and this is just <laughs> a general summary, uh, we need God over our sin. Uh, uh, Galatians 5, 16 says this, but I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. I think this is something that Tony was maybe alluding to or, or someone else. You know, how is it that we're able to overcome our desires, our pursuit of other things that are sinful is by walking by the spirit, is by knowing and being filled and saturated with the power of the Lord. Right, the, the overarching way, right? If you want to summarize this point, if you want to summarize all the spiritual disciplines, the way that we most fight our sin is by pursuing the Lord, right? It is his strength in us. And we understand that, you know, every single believer is going to have the Holy Spirit, right? As soon as you are saved, you are sealed by him. Your salvation is guaranteed. He is in you. But we also know that his influence or power in us, and when I say power, I just mean practical influence, the practical level in which he is influencing and shaping our life, our desires, our worldview, is strengthened or weakened by how much we pursue him, right? So I, I know that could be a somewhat confusing topic. I hope you understand this. It's ultimately the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. 
but how much we are engaging with him, pursuing God, affects his influence in us. Right? That's why you have passages like, do not grieve the Holy Spirit, or you can have a seared conscience. Um, how much you are choosing to engage with the Lord will actually influence how much uh, influence, in quotes, he has over you. And where we see this uh, dichotomy is in two parallel passages that some of us would know really well, uh, Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and then Colossians 3, verse 16. You know, some of you probably know where I'm going with this here. Do you, do you guys know some of those passages? Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we turn there? So let, uh, can we have someone read Ephesians 5, 18 and 19? Someone, okay, Dan. And then can someone read Colossians 3, 16? Okay, Patrick, great. And so for the rest of you, feel free to turn to one of them. But I want you to listen to the similarity and difference between these two passages. Because there's both a similarity and there's a difference. Okay, uh, Dan, if you have it, can you read that Ephesians 5? And do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Okay, good. So he's contrasting being drunk with wine versus being filled with the Spirit. He gives uh, praise of some of the, um, the ways that you see that filling being done. And then can we read the Colossians 3.16? 3.16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Yeah. So do you, uh, what's the similarity and what's the difference between those two passages? Could you guys hear or see it as you're hearing the two being read? Or maybe you already know the difference from past studies you've done? Be filled with the Spirit. Mm -hmm. Okay, good. So in Ephesians, yeah, so in Ephesians 5, you hear be filled with the Spirit, right? And then in Colossians 3.16, what do you hear? Yeah. Um, Patrick, can you just read it one more time? Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing mm -hmm. with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Good. Yeah, so the, the parallel, right, is being filled with the Spirit and being filled with God's word are one and the same thing. Right. So when we're thinking about what it means to allow God to be working more powerfully in our life, the Holy Spirit to be more, quote unquote, more active in us, it's through how much we are engaging with him and engaging with his word. Right. So part of how we're actually able to overcome the flesh in so many of these passages, which say things like walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh is by being intentional in pursuing and relating to the Lord. If you guys remember last week when we talked about what his meditation on God's word looks like, this is the same idea here. How are we engaging with God's word, not just as an intellectual study, but in a way in which we're devotionally relating to God, knowing him, thinking about him, praying to him, asking him for help, uh, just you know, thinking through all of our life together. It's through our engagement with God. And so this is really the fifth point of how we mortify the flesh, but it's also a summary of everything that we've talked about as well. If you want to oversimplify our pursuit of Christ and the way that we engage and become more like him and have our hearts transformed, that the simplest way is just by knowing and pursuing God. And so, of course, it starts with his word, but hopefully, as we've heard over these last two weeks, there's, there's many ways that you can kind of break that down. Um, and then hopefully that's a helpful summary there. So how is it that we mortify our flesh? Is we recognize that our sin is already defeated in Christ. We respect it. That is, we think about intentionally that what we're most prone to. Uh, we starve our sin, right? Think about ways of running away from things that are going to tempt us and make us think about or desire it. We replace our sin by pursuing um, uh, truths by pursuing acts that are going to be uh, righteous and Christ-like. And then, of course, we pursue and want God to be in our life. And uh, for those of you that are in the forge, I think, you know, the study of the Holy Spirit should be helpful to better understand how we relate to God. I'm not trying to say that the Holy Spirit is literally less in us, right, if we're not engaging in his word, right? If you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit, 
but it's his controlling work in our life and in our hearts that is impacted by how intentionally we're engaging with him. So this isn't a, a workspace salvation, right? I'm not trying to say, hey, you got to do more in order to be more saved. But God does, in a sense, respond to how much we are pursuing after him. So I know that could be a lot. Uh, also, I think a lot of this probably isn't new to a lot of us here, right? I think if you've been in church long enough, you've heard some of these terms before. But really, my hope in presenting it here is to say, you know, if you want just kind of a clear, concise way of thinking about mortification, hopefully here it is. And so now think about areas in your life that you can apply this to, right? So a couple of reflection questions. What areas of sin do you need to intentionally fight and put to death in your life? You know, what is the corresponding area of righteousness that you need to pursue? Um, are there excuses that you tend to make to not try to put your sin to death? Um, and then, of course, you know, how can you actually help other people apply this? If you're discipling someone, if you're just walking alongside another believer, or you're just at a dinner party and someone's saying, hey, I'm really struggling in this area. You know, are you just giving kind of general advice that says, oh, I'm so sorry, I'll pray for you. Or are you thinking about ministry in this type of more intentional way as well? Okay, hey, you know, you're saying you're struggling with that. Um, what does it actually look like to overcome the area? And then you can give some of these more practical um, areas of, of wisdom here. So to summarize, uh, there's a lot that more that can be said, but we've had two hours over two weeks to cover it. The spiritual disciplines that we want to engage in to see heart change so we can become more sanctified are relating to God properly, relating to our circumstances properly, relating to other people properly, and then relating to ourselves properly. Um, and as we've gone through the, the last two weeks, you know exactly what that means. I don't mean to give all of this as an oversimplification because I know in every circumstance it's going to be different. But if we're going to be faithful Christians, we need to start at least by thinking in these four areas. Right? If we want to see true biblical change, how are we addressing all four? In your own life, think about this. Where are you naturally weak in these four areas? You know, is there one or more in which you just know that you haven't been engaging in in the last week or month? And then now start to think over the fall, how can you be intentional to start to work in each of these areas? And then when you're ministering to another believer, how are you thinking through these general categories as well? Um, all right, so that's been a lot. We have like 30 seconds left. Any questions you guys have? <laughs> yes, Mike. Yeah, um, there's a couple. Um, so let me think through some recommendations that I can, I can let you know. Okay, for time's sake, I'll say this one last thing as transition. Hopefully all of this has been helpful as we're thinking about our own lives. Next week, we're going to see ways that you can do this in a toxic spirituality. So everything we've talked about so far, there's a right way to pursue it. And there's ways in which everything we've talked so far, you can actually be pursuing a type of spiritual legalism that's not true Christ-likeness. So hopefully we can come next week. We'd love to hear any questions, reflections you have, and we'll cover that then, okay? All right, thank you guys. Uh, have a wonderful rest of your Sunday, and uh, we'll see you in church.